Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder, and I'm here to help you rock your hormones and feel great in your body so that you can reclaim more energy, vitality, and joy and become the CEO of your health. Let's jump on in. Hey, one more thing. Did you know that one of the biggest nutrient deficiencies that I see in people, especially women, is a magnesium deficiency? It's because we burn through this super mineral so quickly. Now this powerful mineral packs a massive punch because magnesium is involved in over 600 reactions in the body. Now it is your best friend if you need more energy, better sleep, a faster metabolism, improved digestion, and not to mention happier periods. And you can quickly replenish your magnesium levels with my essentially whole magnesium restore supplement made with my favorite form of magnesium, magnesium glycinate. Use promo code podcast and get 10% off your entire order at drmarisa.com slash magnesium. Now I'll have the link in the show notes for this episode to make it easy. Go and try it out today. Two weeks ago, I shared with you the risk factors that are unique to women when it comes to increased cardiovascular disease and cardiovascular mortality rate, of which we lead the pack. Yes, more women die of stroke and heart attack than men. And I got to tell you that this hits especially close to home today as someone in my family who is very, very close to me had a stroke just a few days ago. Now, I can't tell you who she is, but she is a very young woman. And luckily, she's on the mend and getting released from the hospital tomorrow. But her recovery is still a long road ahead. Now, each of us have women in our families that have died of stroke or heart attack. It hits close to home for all of us, and I know it's on our radar. And let me tell you, when I was researching the unique risk factors for cardiovascular disease in women, none of the risk factors surprised me in the least bit, because most of them were symptoms I hear from women all of the time. I just think we don't realize how devastating these specific symptoms can be to our overall health, specifically our cardiovascular health. Now, if you want to go back and check out that episode, it is episode 498, and I will have it in the show notes to go and listen to. Now, today I want to tackle one of the biggest risk factors on that list and connect the dots to poor sleep quality and metabolic dysfunction. Because here's the deal. It's not supposed to be like this. We're not supposed to be lying awake all night, anxious, sweating, exhausted, lending to poor sleep quality and crazy blood sugar issues as a result. This is not okay. But as I mentioned in many of my recent episodes, it is entirely preventable. It all boils down to your metabolism. Maintaining your cardiovascular, cardiometabolic health is so crucial to make sure that this doesn't happen to you. And today I'm going to explain how sleep directly impacts your blood sugar and how it all fits into the equation. And I am going to leave you at the very end with some super easy tips on how to track your blood sugar and how to know, is sleep affecting your blood sugar? Is blood sugar affecting your sleep? The more we can gather this information, we can make literally like real-time changes, real-time biohacks to help navigate better sleep and to navigate better metabolic health. Now, first, it's important to understand that your sleep and your blood sugar are a catch-22. And what I mean by that is your blood sugar can make or break your sleep and your sleep can make or break your blood sugar. The vicious cycle only gets more vicious until we take some proactive steps to actually address both. But more on that in just a moment. For now, let's just take a closer look as to why blood sugar and your sleep are so closely related. We know from countless studies that our blood sugar affects how we sleep and that how we sleep affects our physical health. Short sleep duration, so like sleeping five or six hours defined by the Centers of Disease Control Prevention, known as the CDC, 
as less than seven hours in a 24-hour period can unravel your health very quickly. Adults who are short sleepers, again, getting less than seven hours of sleep a night, are more likely to have chronic health conditions like diabetes, obesity, or heart disease. Similarly, the quality of your sleep can be just as important. So getting control of your sleep habits, literally starting tonight, can make a huge difference in your overall health and longevity. But how does our sleep kind of mess with our blood sugar as a whole and cause some of these cardiometabolic health issues? Like why is a lack of sleep a big risk factor for cardiometabolic disease? Well, sleep is essential to allow your body to restore and repair itself. So when you don't get enough sleep, several changes occur inside of the body. So I want to explore them one by one so you got a really clear picture of the outcome of when we're not getting great sleep. So number one, sleep impacts our insulin levels. So sleep affects your hormone levels, including insulin, leptin, ghrelin, and your circadian rhythm. So also messing with cortisol and melatonin. Now there's a small group of nerve cells that form what's called the master clock in your brain. This internal clock controls hormone secretion, temperature, eating habits, and digestion. Now to work optimally, it requires consistent circadian rhythm. Keeping this rhythm is key to regulating your metabolism, insulin, blood sugar, as well as your sleep-wake cycle. Now when your circadian rhythm is out of sync, these hormones can go haywire, leading to overeating, weight gain, high glucose, insulin resistance, and glucose intolerance. When this happens, your body's metabolic health can decline over time even if your blood sugar appears to be in the okay range, right? And this is often leading to things like prediabetes and diabetes over time, which is a major precursor for cardiometabolic disease. Number two, sleep regulates hunger hormones. So two hormones that regulate your appetite are leptin and ghrelin. Leptin plays several roles in your body. Two of its key jobs are long-term energy, regulation, and metabolism. Now, you may have heard it referred to as the starvation or satiety hormone, and that's because the fat cells in your body release leptin, telling your brain when you've had enough energy. When released, it suppresses your appetite, making you feel satisfied and ensuring that you stop eating. Now, if leptin levels are low, your appetite's going to increase. Now, several studies have found that short sleep duration reduces leptin levels, leading to overeating and weight gain. In turn, the cravings that you have to eat more results in an increased intake of carbohydrates, which ultimately raises blood sugar levels. Now, ghrelin is the opposite function of leptin, increasing your appetite by telling the brain that their body needs more food, more energy. This is one of the reasons why certain fad diets often fail. When you don't eat enough, ghrelin levels increase, making it harder to stick to your diet. Now, I also wanna make it a point that eating before bed is really the worst, right? I had a whole episode on the negative effects of late night eating. And the reason for this is the surge in blood sugar will really disrupt your sleep. And when you wake up, it's most likely that your blood sugar levels are gonna stay on the rise. So for instance, if you had a margarita at night before bed or a glass of wine and some chocolate before bed, like eight, nine, 10 o'clock in the evening, even close to 11, or you had some popcorn watching a movie, that most likely your blood sugar levels are going to spike in that late time. Um, It's They're going to try to drop at night, but it's very hard to do so. And you're going to wake up with a greater fasting blood sugar in the morning. Number three, sleep impacts sympathetic nervous system activity. So sleep deprivation or broken up sleep can lead to increased sympathetic nervous system activity. Basically, it's driving stress. 
In stressful or dangerous situations, the sympathetic nervous system is what controls your fight or flight response, right? It is that that crazy go, go, go survival response. A lack of sleep can cause your fight or flight mode to kick in during the day and night, releasing stress hormones like cortisol. When your sympathetic nervous system is overly active, it can reduce insulin secretion and promote insulin resistance. So just note that if we're not getting enough sleep, we head into survival mode and that has a profound impact on our metabolic hormones, leading to more insulin resistance and again, leading to a deeper cardiovascular issue. Number four, sleep modulates inflammation. So research shows that sleep deprivation increases inflammation levels in the body. This effect can happen after even a single poor night's sleep. I'm not talking about three or four nights in the week. I'm talking about just one. Inflammation is your body's defense mechanism, providing valuable protection against viruses and bacteria. But when it's chronically high because of poor sleep, it can lead to lifelong conditions such as metabolic syndrome, type 2 diabetes, heart disease, and obesity. And we'll even see it if you ever run a blood test, a blood lab, and you run C-reactive protein, you'll see those levels increase even due to poor sleep. And then number five, sleep helps to regulate body fat. So sleep helps to maintain your body weight in so many different ways, including regulating hunger hormones and insulin levels, as I mentioned earlier. Research tells us that a lack of sleep increases levels of free fatty acids in your blood, which lead to being less sensitive to insulin and wrecks your body's ability to metabolize fat. Studies also show that when we're sleep deprived, cortisol levels increase over time, which leads to insulin resistance, higher blood sugar, weight gain, and potentially leading to type two diabetes. Now on the flip side, your blood sugar can really mess up your sleep on its own accord, right? So there's the five things that I mentioned, right? How if we're getting poor sleep quality or a lack of the amount of sleep that we're gonna get, that it has a profound impact on the five things that I just mentioned, right? It impacts our insulin levels, it regulates and messes with our hunger hormones like leptin and ghrelin. Um, it can upregulate our sympathetic nervous system, driving us into survival mode first thing in the morning. Um, it can uplevel inflammation, and particularly we'll see that in markers like C-reactive protein. And it can help us, if we're not getting good enough sleep, we end up storing fat. And again, that, that plays into leptin issues and that plays into insulin issues and that plays into deregulated blood sugar. But then also, as I mentioned earlier, it is a catch-22. So your blood sugar can really mess with your sleep. And here is how. So when we have a late night snack or we have a lot of processed carbs for dinner or we have a big old dessert, um, we will see high blood sugar levels, especially because we're insulin resistant or more insulin resistant in the evening. So some of the things we'll see when we have high blood sugar before bed Pre-bed high blood sugar levels can affect the nervous system, making it hard to fall and stay asleep. This can also trigger insomnia and increase cortisol and adrenaline levels, preventing your body from fully relaxing. So you'll just have this mental chatter and you'll kind of feel a little bit amped up, maybe kind of driving a little bit of anxiety. You may need to go to the bathroom more often, disrupting your sleep. And this is because your kidneys are trying to flush out all of that excess glucose out of the body. And I cannot tell you how often I've seen this in women who have two glasses of wine before bed or have dessert before bed, or they had a ton of carbs like popcorn or pizza, their blood sugar is super high and their kidneys are working around the clock to clear all that excess glucose. And they are up in the middle of the night, multiple times a night having to pee because they are clearing this glucose. And then the third reason or the third result is high blood sugar can lead to you feeling dehydrated, 
waking you up from sleep to rehydrate with a glass of water. This can also cause you to feel hot, irritated, and unsettled, making it difficult to sleep. And then the final bonus one is hot flashes and night sweats. When you have got increased levels of blood glucose, it's gonna drive more increased night sweats and hot flashes during the night as well, which we know can absolutely disrupt your sleep. And then when we look at low blood sugar, which again, probably isn't as often, but can play a role. So low blood sugar when it comes to sleep, it can cause a release of cortisol and adrenaline. These hormones will wake you up and stir your appetite. Um, When trying to raise your blood sugar levels back to normal, your body will overreact by increasing your appetite. If you then eat when you should be sleeping, it can upset both your glucose levels and your sleep-weight cycle. And then low blood sugar levels can further disrupt sleep by causing insomnia, nightmares, sudden waking, and sweating. So again, it's not as often that we're seeing a low blood sugar issue before bed, but it absolutely can happen. But just note that your sleep and your sleep quality is really tethered to how stable and how balanced your blood sugar is heading to bed. So how do you know if sleep is messing with your blood sugar in the morning and throughout the day? Well, the key fasting glucose levels in the morning that you are looking to maintain are this. These are the things you want to be looking out for. Number one, glucose levels, so blood sugar levels when you're asleep should be between 70 and 100 milligrams per deciliter. And then optimal morning fasting glucose values should be between 70 and 90 milligrams per deciliter when you wake up. And then overnight values that keep your 24-hour average glucose should be below 105 milligrams per deciliter. Now to track your levels, right? Because you're not able to do this unless you're tracking your levels is you want to try a CGM. I'm actually wearing one right now and I've been checking my glucose levels before bed and I've been checking my glucose levels in the morning to make sure that I'm in the optimal range. But you can also settle for a cheaper model, which is a glucose meter. And you can grab them for much, much less money at a typical CVS or a Walgreens, right? Any drugstore is going to have a glucose meter because there are so many people with type 2 diabetes and prediabetes that need to be checking their blood sugar consistently every single day. Um, Now, if you have elevated blood sugar levels in the morning, it could be based on late night eating or the type of sleep that you just experienced, right? If it's poor quality sleep, there are so many wonderful apps to be tracking your sleep quality as well, which I highly, highly recommend, whether it's an Apple Watch or it's a Garmin Watch or it's a Fitbit or if it's a Whoop Strap. There's so much great technology that can track not only your sleep, um, your REM sleep, your deep sleep, all of that, but also can track heart rate variability and your recovery score once you wake up in the morning. So something to also look into. Now, if you've been fasting since 5 or 6 p.m. in the evening and your blood sugar is still high in the morning, it could be a risk factor for insulin resistance and or an indicator of really poor sleep quality, right? So if you if you kind of diminish some of those variables, like you didn't late night eat, you had a, you know, you had salmon and a salad for dinner and you had it before 6 p.m. So you gave yourself ample amount of time to stabilize your blood sugar before going to bed. But you also then wake up with a fasting glucose reading of 95 or 100 milligrams per deciliter. Then, I mean, obviously it's worth tracking every single day to see if that changes. But we got to start looking at okay, is there a deeper underlying issue like insulin resistance in general, like your blood sugar has just been creeping up? Or is sleep the culprit where you thought you got, you know, seven and a half hours of sleep, you really got six and a half hours of sleep. And one of the things I want to recommend here 
as I'm going into the best place to start by improving your sleep hygiene is note that if you're trying to get eight hours of sleep every single night, let's just say eight or nine, and for a lot of us, it needs to be between eight or nine hours, I get that 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 may be unpopular opinion or that may just feel like an absolute dream. But let's say you wanted to clock or you needed to clock eight hours because you've noticed on your Apple Watch or on your Aura Ring or whatever you've been wearing or on your your CGM that your numbers um, and your indicators are not looking optimal, right? So if let's say it's eight hours that you want to get to sleep, that means you need to be in bed like nine hours or eight and a half hours before you need that eight hours of sleep. And I can speak to that. Let's say I'm trying to clock eight hours of sleep at night and I need. I know that I'm going to get up at seven no matter what. Um, then I reverse engineer. Okay, I need to do eight. Um, I usually, I try to be, I try to be in bed by 10, but, or even 9.30 to ensure that I'm going to, I know I'm going to lose about an hour to an hour and a half at night for all kinds of reasons, including my toddler's going to wake me up several times. And so I know that I've got to reverse engineer another hour and a half on the, on the front end to make sure that I actually clock that, that eight hours. So I know you'll think, okay, I want to get eight hours of sleep. So let me just, let me go to bed at 10 and I'm going to get up at six. But most likely you won't clock anywhere near that eight hours of sleep if you just gave yourself exactly eight hours. So I hope that that makes sense. Again, reverse engineer from the time you get up in the morning, let's say 6 a.m., you want eight hours of sleep. That puts you at 10 p.m. That means you probably need to be in bed and working on your sleep routine at 9 p.m. so that you're actually in bed by 9.30 and you give yourself about a half hour to finally get into that quality of sleep that you really need. All right, other things that I'm going to recommend, actually six things, is going to be, again, spend the last hour or two of your day screen-free and kind of gearing up to get ready to sleep, right? Just like we have our morning routine and we kind of gear up for our day, we need to wind down to get to sleep right? We can't just race into sleep coming from whatever we were like cleaning the kitchen and doing all the things and folding the laundry and working on that last, you know, piece of work that we had to do on our computer and then just run into bed. I tried that for years, failed miserably at it. Obviously it doesn't work. Number two, write down with, with journaling, wind down with reading or wind down with meditation. Maybe there's a, there's like, I listen to a a meditation that is 100%. It's got beautiful music. Um, it's walking me through the process. It's a guided meditation that works every single time. And my my brain just knows. Like once that meditation goes on, I'm going to make it through like six of the 13 minutes of that meditation and I'm going to be asleep. So again, finding the thing that's going to help you wind down is going to be really important. Next, have consistent evening rituals. Just like we had for our children and our toddlers we really do need it for ourselves. Um, turn out the lights sooner or, and even get, so this is so, so important, is make sure that the lights in your bedroom and in your bathroom next to your bedroom are dim or that they can be dimmed. So there are certain lights in my bathroom that are dimming lights and other lights in my bathroom that are really bright light. And so at night, I know that I only turn on the dimming lights. And then we have two nightstand lights that are very, very dimmed after a certain time of the evening so that when I turn on that light, it is not going to blare a ton of crazy blue light at me. So something to think about. Those are easy fixes. You just have to do it one time and bam, you are good to go. Next, use calming essential oils. So I love lavender, cedarwood, 
I love Roman chamomile. Um, I love frankincense. I love jasmine. Like there's so many wonderful, um, beautiful essential oils that you can use to really calm the mind. And if you're looking for recipes and a full sleep protocol, like I'm talking about a dialed sleep protocol, please go and grab my menopause, my menopause solution book. If you don't have it already, it is so worthwhile, even just for the sleep and morning rituals inside of that book, because they are game changers. And then number six, get some helpful sleep supplements to your regimen. So one of the ones I recommend that I've heard from so many women are is a game changer is Magnesium Restore. Now, the, the dosage on Magnesium Restore, two capsules, is like 350 milligrams, which is the typical like required dosage for women every single day. But because most of us are deficient and we are struggling with sleep issues, especially because of low progesterone, I recommend that you double that dosage. So instead of the three, the 350, I want you to step up to 700, right? I find that really 800 milligrams of magnesium glycinate is that sweet spot, but seven, 700, 750, it'll get the job done. So I personally take four capsules of my magnesium restore, and I will tell you it is a game changer. And I also pair it with my Zen sleep supplement that has a little bit of melatonin. It's got passion flower. It's got lavender. It's got chamomile. Um, it has 5-HTP, which is phenomenal for serotonin levels, especially when you're going to sleep and you're replenishing those. So Zen Sleep and Magnesium Restore has been my power couple. Like they are game changers together when it comes to getting deep, restful sleep. Especially there are nights where it things are busy. Life is busy. I am still doing some stuff. I do break some of my rules and I know I need a little bit of added support and help. I am on top of this supplement protocol. And I normally take it. So let's say I'm going to bed at 10 p.m. And I know I need to be like starting my routine around 9.15. I often take those supplements between 9 and 9.15 p.m. So that they're kicking in by the time I really want to go to sleep. So that that meditation that I listen to, that guided meditation, just knocks me out cold. So those are going to be my recommendations. Again, the first thing you got to do is really track. One, track what's going on with your sleep. See what's going on. Be really honest with yourself about how much sleep you're actually getting. And there's nothing that's more honest than something that's actually measuring your sleep, like a Fitbit or a Ring, a Garmin watch or an Apple watch. Obviously, there's a lot of other devices out there, wearables, and it will tell you, it'll break it down for you. And you know what? You need those numbers. Like You need that honest truth. And then having a glucose meter or a CGM and just tracking it before going to bed and then right in the morning and seeing like... Is your blood sugar 70 to 100 milligrams per deciliter while you're asleep? Is your optimal morning blood sugar when you wake up 70 to 90 milligrams per deciliter? And are your overnight values that keep your 24 average glucose below 105, 110 milligrams per deciliter? Now, I'm not going to lie. These are optimal ranges, but I feel like you deserve to know what optimal ranges are so that you can work towards getting there. I fully believe that we can reverse prediabetes and we have the ability to reverse type 2 diabetes as well, but it does take a lot of conscious effort and work, and that includes really optimizing our sleep, not only for the benefit of blood sugar and metabolic health, but also for the benefit of a brain that works really well, um, reducing our risk for cardiovascular disease, and having the energy to live the life that we want. So if these tips or this information that I shared with you was at all helpful, 
Be sure to subscribe to the show for more easy tips to heal your hormones and upgrade your health. And if you got a chance, go and rate the show. I know that we just finished our epic giveaway, but be sure to rate the show so that more women can tune in to becoming the CEO of their health. Until the next episode, have an amazing day.